money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. The incomparable Janine Ellis is an iconic Australian entrepreneur, most commonly known as the founder of Boost Juice. Amongst her other accolades, Janine heads up Retail Zoo, which owns Salsa's Fresh Mex Grill, Chibo Espresso, Betty's Burgers, she's on the board of Michael Hills, is an author, ambassador to the UNHCR, a panellist on Shark Tank and a former contestant on Survivor. The lessons that you've learned failing are absolutely invaluable. And so it's sort of like when things go wrong, you stand up, you dust yourself off, you sit down and reflect on what you learned and then you move on from there. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Welcome to Tilly Money, Janine. Thanks for having me. Bit of a mouthful there with the introduction. I know, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? That's what happens when you get gypsy. You've got a few things behind your belt. <laughs> oh, I could honestly have written a half page, though. It was, um, it's a pretty impressive list of accolades there. No, no, thank you. So I guess we'll just kick off with our first question, which is what we, we ask most of our guests. Um, where did you learn about money growing up? Uh, well, to be honest, the way I learned about money by not having any growing up. You know, so I am, um, you know, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne in a place called Knoxfield and then we basically moved to Baronia. And so there really wasn't any money in the family. You know, I think there wasn't any pocket money um, and 14, I was out working at a local strawberry farm picking picking strawberries. And so the value of money, so everything I bought, I actually had to work my butt off for. Mm. And the value of money came very early to me. So I you know, I didn't have parents to buy me a car. We didn't go on flash holidays. So I learned money by actually earning it. Yeah. So it's made you a really resourceful person, that having to, to kind of earn everything. Yeah. I think for a resourceful and appreciative I think mm. too I, I very value every dollar and I think even to this day you know my husband's very similar you know we we very much um you know watch our pennies yeah and then you you spent a, a bit of time after school traveling the world and um, working in numerous different industries what was the motivation behind that time in your life I think the motivation was just having an adventure you know I've been brought up in a very isolated world in the eastern suburbs and I, I may not have been the entrepreneur but I definitely was the adventurer and so literally at 21 years old put a backpack on my back and just sort of headed overseas just to you know see the world and I think the great thing about traveling is not so much the amazing places you go to which they are extraordinary it's actually the people you meet and it was a I think it did you know at 21 it really did form 
the person I am today. Uh, yeah, that person that has to be resourceful, has to be a problem solver, uh, and and has to get along with all sorts of people from all different countries. So, Janine, it's Maureen here, Maureen Jordan. We've met on a number of times, and obviously. I'm a person who loves what you do. Um, I love Boost <laughs> and uh, I've consumed, consumed many a mango smoothie, Janine. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so you've obviously, as Claire said, you know, you've had an amazing journey. I mean, we'll talk later about you being a contestant on the program Survivor, but you're not only a survivor in business, you're, you're an amazing thriver. And you spoke then about your time overseas but what did you learn overseas and then what was the impetus to bring you back to Australia? Um, look, one of the key things that I learned was um, was people were people. You know, I was fortunate enough to work on David Bowie's yacht for a couple of years. And during that period, I learned, I, I met people like obviously Bowie, Jagger, um, Princess Margaret, um, Steve Martin, Robin Williams, yeah, the list goes on. Oh. And... What I discovered was that, you know, since coming from Baronia, I always thought that there were us normal mortals and then there were the superhuman people, which are the rock stars and the movie stars and the princes and queens. But what I realised when I was working overseas was people were people and you had absolutely most divine people who were rock stars and movie stars and also not such, not such nice people. But equally, I came across the local fishermen and the, and the people who had really had nothing and they were lovely people and not so nice people. Mm. So it really was that it had nothing to do with education, money, fame, fortune. It actually came down to the essence of a person. Mm. And so I took that into business and, you know, having not gone to university and, and you know, leaving school at year 11, I never felt more than or less than in a room. I just, and I think that that travelling and hanging out with, you know, the rich and famous of the world really did get open my eyes to not really looking at anyone as if they're better than me, nor do I look at them and say they're worse than me. Mm. So I think that was really the fundamental business that I that I sort of took in to everything I did. Mm. And when, where did you translate this into your business ideas? Like were you always comfortable with risk, you know, and then you just wanted to go out and have a stab at really building something of your own or...? Look, I've, I've always been comfortable with risk. I mean, you wouldn't be a 21-year-old with no Facebook mobile phone that would put a backpack on the back and go around the world mm-hmm. without thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's who I am and, um, and yeah, that person adventure. So that was okay with But I think if I was honest, it wasn't so much risk that I that got me overseas or helped me start my own business. I, to be honest, it was naivety. Mm-hmm. I think what people find is that if the more they know, the more they're aware, the more they actually fear it. So, you know, going overseas, I didn't fear it. So I was more excited about it. Mm. Starting a business, I never feared it, but I was excited about it. But by the time I actually got into it and understood, you know, the risks, the um, what we had to lose because we sold our family home and we had all this debt, the more I knew, the more actually fear did creep into it, which then... In some respects, fear had its own motivation as well. So I think that naivety and fear were um, very good skills that I had in, in business. Because, look, back then also it wasn't the information highway that we have that we can actually obtain any information at our fingertips in seconds. Mm. 
Mm. You know, back then it was, you know, pick up the yellow pages and ring it. So it was a different era, but I think a different era that enabled us to jump into it with two feet and work it out on the way. Mm. Yeah. So you just touched on it there briefly, but um, how hard was it initially to get Boost Juice off the ground, especially financially? Look, I think it wasn't, you know, we had a whole lot of, Jeff, Jeff was in radio at the time and he had a whole lot of mates that invested early. So we, we got the money fairly easy. It was only, look, we're talking $200,000. It wasn't a lot of money. Mm. And then it was just a matter of, I never really saw anything as hard. I just saw things as get on with it and do it. Yeah. You know, and as soon as I hit a problem, I just stick at it until I found the solution. Mm. And then, and I, and I, you know, no was not an option. So it was just sort of that feeling of, I didn't have, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. So every single day I just took little steps each day until it was solved. Janine, just wind, let's wind back just a minute. Was Boost your first business? We tried to, I say we, because my husband and I wanted to um, get out of the corporate world. He, he still worked full-time while we started. But I was on maternity leave for my youngest son, Riley, who was seven months at the time. And we tried a couple of things. We tried touring comedians, which was a, an absolute failure. Mm. We tried um, publishing books mm. um, and touring, again, authors and did our own publishing books of a, sort of a novelty book. Neither were very successful. And I think that... Um, well, that's why I think there's a shame of people in business that fail and don't continue because the lessons that you learn failing mm. are absolutely invaluable. Mm. And so it's sort of like when things go wrong, you stand up, you dust yourself off, you sit down and reflect on what you learned and then you move on from there. Mm. Do you remember where you were when the idea of juice came in? Because, you know, you're talking about book publishing and, you know, you're talking about things that are, you know, miles or kilometres away from, um, you know, juice and, and health industry. Where were we? Where were you, do you recall, when this idea popped into your head, if that's the case? Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if there was one moment, but there was definitely a, um, a trend overseas particularly of the juice and smoothie category. It had been around in the US for about seven years and in other markets for, for less than that. And so, it, and I think at the time there was a real need in the Australian market for anything fresh, fast. So there was, you know, you got your meat pies and you had your McDonald's and your KFC, but there was nothing really in the healthy spectrum. So we, so we then, well, we were actually went over to America to look at the category of smoothies and juices. And I really liked the category. I thought there was a real hole in the market, but really didn't like any of the concepts. So really it was just a matter of going, okay. Juice and smoothies we're going to do now. Let's work out how we're going to do it. What 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 we want. I always approach the concepts of what did I want as a consumer, mm. and so basically, Boost was created because that's what I would like as a consumer. Mm. And the look, the look and the feel um, of the product. You know, where where was your knowledge of marketing? I mean, you you branded strongly and you branded so well from the beginning. So where was the marketing expertise? Um, particularly understanding marketing, I think Jeff was a, an incredible marketer with regard to his brain because he's from the radio world, which, you know, in radio, you're selling airtime for free, you know. So, it, um, you know, you're trying to get advertisers to sell on a product that's given out for free. So, it's a, it's a very competitive space. But with regard to the look and feel, you know, I've never had any experience in this area. So I was a publicist prior to this. But 
it really did. I did have a vision for it. So I, I remember seeing a photograph of a tomato cut in half and the light was being shone through the tomato. I remember thinking how beautiful the patterns and colours was in this tomato. So in actual fact, it started with me cutting all the fruit up, sticking it on windows and actually photographing, getting a, getting a photographer to take mm, pictures clever. of the sunlight coming through so I could see the essence and the energy of the fruit. Mm. That's tomatoes and kiwis and yeah, bananas didn't work out very well, but <laughs> certainly the citrus fruits did. And then you went, okay, so now we have the fruit that I loved. Then actually the colours came from that. So mm. it was, you know, if you look at the colours, it's, you know, it's, it's red from the strawberries, it's green from the mm. kiwi fruit, it's, you know, it's yellow from the lemons. It's, it is all those um, colours. So, you know, I'm sure that there's designers out there that understand the meaning of colour, but for me I just liked it. Mm, it's and so I rich and fresh. In those early days, Janine, you had so many clever ideas though because – I remember the heyday of Triple M and I had a working relationship with Triple M at the time and you came up with really interesting concepts. Maybe you could take us through a couple of those that you had that really well, we brought your name big, into prominence. Yeah, I think there was a couple of them. Um, and, again, that was probably really, you know, it wasn't probably, it was definitely Jeff Bag. He understands the, the, um, the consumer in the radio world. So we advertise a lot on radio and we, we sat down and we said, what has everyone got? And we, we thought, well, you know, we thought about, you know, what have they got? They've got a birthday, um, but they've also got a name. So we created a product, and actually, as I said, it was mainly a Jeff idea, called the What's Your Name Game. And so we thought it was, we thought we wanted it to be loud and proud and generous. And so we, then we went, okay, every day we would have a separate name. And if you happen to be Peter, you come in for a free juice or your Jane, you come in for a free juice or smoothie. And so what happened with that was it wasn't that there were that many Peters or Janes out there, but it really created in a time when social media really hadn't got going. But suddenly Peter got 45 texts from his mates going, hey, mate, you get a free smoothie today at Boots. So it became mm, this clever. real talking point. Mm. And then so it was that one. The second one was we actually were the first business to give away a store. And oh, wow. Again, again, it was we did a major campaign with a radio camp, a radio station. I think it was Fox FM at the time, mm-hmm. and we went, all right. So we're going to give away a store, and people have to actually then prove to us that they're going to be great partners. And through that competition, we're going to give them the store at the end of the day. And you know, there was that big, uh, big uh, fan four affair of two keys and who wants who gets the store and that whole concept. Now that delivered us millions of dollars worth of free air. The PR was extraordinary. And um, and then we got partners that actually increased the sales. Uh, overall, the whole network increased by fifteen percent. So on every level, it was a huge success. But more importantly, it was really noisy. So mm. we never had a lot of money to market. But whatever we did, we did it with with a bang. <laughs> Genius. Mm. So do you think that that kind of combination of your and Jeff's expertise has has been what's enabled you to keep scaling the businesses successfully? Yeah, I think so. I do. I definitely believe that you have to surround yourself with great people to create greatness. And Jeff and I are very different. Um, he is, you know, very much on big picture. You know, so he was responsible for getting sites, mm. and he was responsible for getting the brand acknowledged. And I was basically everything else was left to me. So he was the sort of person, and probably a lot braver than I in some respects in the early days, anyway, because he would come down and. He did sites and did a deal with Westfield and it was like 27 sites 
with Westfield and um, came home and we had to open these 27 sites within 18 months. And he kind of went, yeah, my job's done. Thank you very much. Mm. But we couldn't, we didn't know how to fund it. We didn't know how to grow, do it. We didn't, didn't know anything. And I think it was me and a great Dane and a part-time bookkeeper that was in the business. Wow. That's so, nuts. So, so in actual fact, but he was sort of like, yeah, okay, there you go. Off you go. And then I put it together and made it somehow. I can't even remember how I made it work, but made it work. Um, and got it going and, you know, got us going. So in actual fact, the strategy of grow quickly, big, as quick as you can was mm-hmm. the right strategy. And because we created a brand that's so strong, it ended up being a really wanted brand. So for us to get franchising was really easy. Um, but, yeah, to sort of grow it, we I think we went from zero to 100 stores in four years. Wow. Incredible. How many do you have now, Janine, and how many are franchises as opposed to um, company-owned? Yeah, we have about 680 stores mm. worldwide. Mm. Um, and in the Australian market, we are mainly franchised. We've got about 20 stores that are oh, actually more than that because we've got things, about 50 stores that are um, company stores and the rest are franchised. And what, what overseas countries are you in? Uh, we're in all, all sorts of countries, actually. We've got we're in Malaysia, we're in Singapore, Vietnam, we're in Chile, we're in Estonia, we are in South Africa, we're in New Zealand, uh, we're in yeah some more Baltic regions. Uh, yeah, so all over the place. And an amazing growth story. Um, and so, yep. in what ways do you reinvest in your businesses? Oh, look, we never took one cent out of business for five years. Um, every single cent that came in uh, went out again. And, you know, the, and everyone invested in the early days knew that there was not going to be any dividends for at least five years. I, look, I didn't earn a cent from the business for the first three. I think my first salary was $35,000 in year four. So, you know, people who get into business and want a quick buck, business is not the way to do it. Um, but you, you do have to have a long-term view. And for me, it was about the journey as much as the results. So it wasn't actually a um, – I didn't feel like it was such a sacrifice because it was, you know, growing this very hungry beast for cash. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you've, you've spoken a lot before about entrepreneurs and business owners knowing their numbers. So how often do you recommend people review their, their business numbers? I think it depends on the industry because, you know, some businesses are a little bit lumpy, like it might be, you know, you sell things in bulk. So it depends on the industry, but the majority of businesses, you should be watching your sales daily um, and you should always be doing a full profit loss every single month. Um, and, you know, if it means if you have products, you need to do a stock take and you do it because the company, what you'll find is if you leave it longer than a month and, and that's the maximum you'd leave it, what you find is if something's wrong and you've left it for six weeks or two months, then you've already lost all that money that mm. you could have gained if you're aware of it every month. So you really do need to be across your numbers and enjoy your numbers. You know, like don't see it as, oh, God, I've got to get into the boring stuff of the numbers. Actually understand that they're a book, they're a story. It tells you a story about your business. It tells you where you need to focus. It tells you what you're doing right. It tells you what you're doing wrong. It tells you... Um, you know, if, if you, it's your scorecard, you know, are you winning or losing? Mm. So, Janine, you have this wonderful success story that's a business in the right place where health was important to people, increasingly important. 
It was growing, it was your baby, and obviously you took on equity partners. But then there's much more to your business story because around about a couple of years ago, or perhaps you can give us the exact date, you went beyond Boost um, to other businesses, one of them being Retail Zoo. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to go outside Boost and what did that journey look like? Yeah, it's actually probably the reverse. It wasn't going outside of Boost. It was actually probably coming into Boost. Mm. So basically, your job as a CEO of any business is to grow your business year on year. Now, the reality is um, we had one brand growing uh, and we had some great relationships with landlords, but we really believed that because I was such a control freak, we had these the resources and the knowledge to take young, fledging brands and then growing them into, hopefully, national icons. And so... We, we were already doing our overseas expansions. That was one level of growth. And so really coming back to Australia, we wanted to grow other brands. And we, at one point we called it the big, the boost investment group, or we called it big. But what we found was by calling it big, it was always the, the businesses that came into the business were always a poor cousin or in the shadow of boost. So we changed the name from big to retail zoo. Okay. And so, so it was actually... It was really the same business, but we just started to acquire other businesses. And one was Salsas, then we acquired Chibo, and now we've we've acquired Betty Burgers. And look, we tried to you know create our own brand, but really it is a lot easier to buy a brand that the consumers already told you that it works than starting a brand from scratch. Mm-hmm. Good tip there for anybody who's wanting to grow along those lines. What then you? You decided to do something a little bit different and you became a, a bit of a TV celebrity and uh, you became part of Shark Tank, which is a program that basically looks at funding potential ideas from people who have got possibly the passion and the idea, but they often don't have the capital to grow it. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and they're not always. Some of them are, are very successful businesses. Mm. Yeah, but it was a great way of businesses in Australia to get exposure. I mean, I'm, I, having started from nothing, you know, I have a real passion for helping people to see their vision and, and you know, grow. And so Shark Tank was a no-brainer for me to say yes to because it gave me a, you know, a, an armchair, literally an armchair view into other people's businesses. I'm also a person that loves to learn. And, you know, yes, I know the food industry and I know my space very well, but I'm, I'm not that across other industries. And so I was equally being the, the student as well as the teacher mm. in something like Shark Tank. Is part so of your role on Shark Tank to then invest yourself in these businesses, but businesses that take your fancy? Yeah, correct. Mm. That's right. So I've got a number of businesses at this state that I still have investment in. Uh, whether it's Beef It Food, whether it's One World Furniture, whether it's Scrubble Wash Bags. You know, so I'm still um, active in a number of businesses. Mm. So what makes you go all in on one of these businesses? Is there a key element or something that really catches your attention? The main thing is always the people because the reality is you have the best product on the planet, but if you haven't got good execution or enough, what, what's the word, enough grunt or enough grit, to push through when others give up, well, then you're not going to go anywhere because the business things will go wrong, and you need to have that reserve and that you know vision to be able to push through when others give up. And yeah. so that's what I look for. 
And so even if, I know there will be, but even if there wasn't any more seasons of Shark Tank, do you think you would go on being an angel investor and just kind of staying in tune with the, the small business community? Look, I, I do a lot of mentoring. I probably mentor a couple of people a week mm. in the small business community. Um, investing is another thing. Like, to be honest, the reality is most businesses fail. And um, so it has to be a fairly extraordinary business to do a startup. You know, and I think that in some respects, startup people, they haven't actually been beaten down by business. So quite often they, they think that their business is worth significantly more than it is. Um, that it's going to be the next best thing. Mm. And so they haven't actually got sometimes a reality check of, of where the business you know, could or should go. Right. Janine, if we could just branch out a little bit because we're focused on you as a businesswoman, but if I could ask you a broad question, and indeed the answer might be a business answer, but looking back on all the things that you've done in your life to date, and I'm sure there's so much more to come, what would you say has been your greatest investment to date? And it might be anything, but your greatest return on that. But, you know, I, I know it's probably a bit cliche, but I think it's family. Mm. You know, you know, investing time, investing energy, investing everything, and and the investment comes out. You know, when you're starting and you're young, you know, your 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 success is is you know um, getting to the first million or making profit or, you know, surviving the day, you know. But really when you get older, my level of success is having my four kids around the table and happy to be there and um, they laugh together mm. or that they want to sort each other out and hang out with each other mm. or the fact that, you know, I, I love my husband more today than I did, you know, 10 years ago. You know, for me, the investment in family has been truly my, my greatest success. Mm. And you know, have I done it all right? Absolutely not. Who <laughs> does? And, yeah. and you know, I've had children go all sorts of directions to you know to end up where they all are now. Mm. Um, but you know, so I do think what gives me the greatest joy and happiness is you know financial freedom is awesome, mm. but it is it is the love that you have around you. You know, I look at some successful you know people, whether it's you know, children suing their parents for more money or. Mm. You know, scrambling over wheels, and you just go, "Oh my God, that is not success." It doesn't matter how many yachts or airplanes you have; that's not success. Mm. You know, Janine, coming back to that for a moment, and I don't expect you to get too personal, but you did tell us at the very beginning that you grew up in East Melbourne. You know, there were no cars that were handed over to you, no holidays. You know, you were out picking strawberries, and like a lot of Aussie kids too, you know, you weren't all that abnormal but you worked your way through life but your kids have been the recipients of a different kind of life what kind of lessons do you keep trying to impart to them though you know it's one of the greatest challenges because you know I um when I left home at no point did I look at I didn't did I, did I have a safety net I mean my parents couldn't have financially supported me even if they wanted to so in actual fact as a mindset I went into the world going it's up to me and so, you've then, you know, our holidays were caravan parks and, you know, I, I never even got a passport till I think I was about, you know, 20. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, you have your children and they go to private schools and they go to nice holidays and they live in a nice house and, and you know, you do worry that, you know, that resilience factor is something that is lacking. I mean, yeah. And you know what? You can't sort of, you know, you don't want to be that parent to go, well, in my day, you know, mm. like, mm. 
and you, you hear yourself doing it sometimes. But I think you, um, you know, but our kids also, you know, they know that when they're on their own, they're on their own. You know, when you leave home, guys, it's, you've got to forge your own mm. destiny. And, and I think the best thing we've found with our kids is to give them, you know, love, support, but not necessarily money. Mm. Um, I definitely haven't been one of those parents that give our kids an allowance. Um, if they want to work for it, they can. Um, all of them have had part-time jobs. You know, one of them went to um, Timber Top because I thought it was important to get a year of, you know, yeah, roughing outdoor. it and, and mm. yeah, having an outdoor philosophy. Mm. Um, but, you know, equally, they still live in a nice house. And so it's just that balance. You know, the last thing, you know, one of the things I did learn on the yacht, uh, having surrounded by seriously some of the richest people in the world, was that, you know, you can spoil your kids and they can just be, you know, you can not do them any favours by spoiling them and living, giving them everything they possibly could. Mm. I remember one time there was this young man who was absolutely divine and he was he was the son of a, a Q8 oil magnet and he was lovely. And I remember the, they asked me to type up the, the young boy's allowance for when he, was a, when he was doing study in America and it was a very um, conservative and, and very low allowance. I mean, the kid would have had to work to actually um, survive. But he was divine. He was lovely. And you could tell that the, the parents, even despite the fact that they had this incredible wealth, really did instill the value of, you know, people and money. And I think that that's what I'm hoping with my kids, that, you know, I want them to travel. I want them to, you know, live on the dirt if they need to. I want them to get out in the world. In actual mm. fact, my oldest son, and I don't think I've had anything to do with it, is, is he's a complete hippie. I mean, he <laughs> wants to... So we field with a bullock that he's been training to pull, I don't know, a harness that goes out sea to, mm. to eat his own chickens and grow his own, you know, grow his own fruit. Um, so, you know, in some respects, you, your kids are who they are. Mm. Um, and and what, would, what would you want to tell to your younger self about money? I can add to this, Janine, if the younger Janine Alice would listen to the more mature yeah, Janine yeah. Alice. Probably what I honestly I think I wouldn't tell her anything. Yeah. And the reason being is you've got to get things wrong to learn, right? You've got to actually lose money to feel it hurt to make sure you learn that lesson. So I would I would just sort of pat her on the back and say good luck, honey. Mm. Um, <laughs> all the best <laughs> with all that. Because you think back at your life and you and look, there's some terrible things that happened to me, like everyone and. And, I've, and, I've, and I haven't been the nicest person to every single person I've come across. And, I've, and, and, you know, I could have done things differently in my life. But I look at all the things that I have done, and right or wrong, good or bad, and I'm the sum of all those things. And I'm actually happy with where I am at 54. And I think that no matter what happened has happened to me in my life, if those things didn't happen, I wouldn't be who I am. And so I'm okay with that. I'm, I've come to peace with you know, all the ups and downs in my life and gone, no, nah, I'm happy with that. Mm, that's very wise. Well, Janine, it's getting on to lunchtime and my tummy's rumbling and I we have a, um, a local boost near us and I'm heading down for the mango smoothies. So I'll think of you and uh, thank you for, so, for sharing your time with um, with Claire and myself this morning and to all those women who um, I know that re they'll respect you for what you've done and what you continue to do. So thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Enjoy your smoothie. <laughs> oh, will do. You'll be short Janine. of that. Thanks, Janine.
Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.